Welcome. You're listening to audio from Haddington Elam Church. We hope that you are encouraged and challenged by this week's message. Lord, and I just ask that in these next moments that you will speak to us, that you will strengthen our hearts, that you will encourage us. Lord, at times maybe challenge us, but Lord, that you have our best interest at heart and that you will just continue, Lord, to just uh, enlarge over us. In the name of Jesus, amen. So Psalm 73, we're going to look at, um, but have you ever noticed or observed, maybe in your life, in your Christian life, but it seems like those that are wicked, those that are evil or have evil intent, don't seem to have all the troubles of life. Uh, Sherry's taking a course just now, and it talks about these different global corporations and uh, how they've done some injustices. They've done some, you know, maybe not above board business practices, and it seems like they never answer for their injustices. And today in Psalm 73, we're looking, and Asaph wrote this psalm, and he's a chief worship leader of David. And he finds himself troubled by a similar thing. He begins to look at what's going on all around him, and he is having a bit of trouble. He can't reconcile within himself this idea that the wicked seem to have a great life. They don't seem to have the troubles. Well, those who would walk with God or those who would stay close to Jesus have trouble, strife, hardships, anxieties, worries, and cares. Have you ever felt like that you couldn't get away with anything, but wicked people seem to get away with everything? Have you ever thought that or felt that way? If so, maybe that's what Asaph was going through. And here he was, a chief worship leader. He couldn't lead the people in worship if he himself had questions about God's character And it is hard for us, too, to worship God if we have doubts about his character. And Jesus said this. He said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. And so Asaph is kind of wrestling with the character of God. And so in Mark 9, 23 and 24, a a man brings his son to Jesus who is being demonized. And the demons are causing him to get thrown in the fire and the water and trying to take his life. And he says to Jesus, if you can do anything, will you help us? And Jesus said to him, if, he said, all things are possible for the one who believes. Immediately, the boy's father cried out and said, I do believe. Help my unbelief or help me to believe more. Help me not to doubt. Help me to overcome my belief. Warren Wearsby says this, quote, There is a difference between doubt and unbelief. Doubt comes from a struggling mind, while unbelief comes from a stubborn will that refuses to surrender to God. The unbelieving person will not believe, while the doubting person struggles to believe but cannot So let's get into Psalm 73. So Asaph, again, worship leader, one of the chief worship leaders, has these struggles within. And he's starting to doubt God's character. So he says, certainly God is good to Israel, to those who are pure in heart. Now he knows this. He knows that God is good, that God is good to Israel, but he's wrestling with it. He's having issue. He's in turmoil trying to figure out 
how this can be. See, we know that God is good. In fact, in some churches, if you would just shout, God is good, someone may shout back all the time. And then someone will shout all the time and they'll say, God is good. So we know this, but we doubt at times. One of the things the enemy tries to do is to get us to doubt the goodness of God. When we waver, it puts us in a precarious position. We know that God is good. We know that. But when we look around at what others are doing, just like Peter stepping out onto the water, when he began to look at the wind and the waves and take his eyes off Jesus, he began to sink. We can find ourselves into some trouble when we begin to doubt God's character. Again, I'm quoting Warren Wearsby. He says, when pondering the mysteries of life, hold on to what you know for sure and never doubt in the darkness what God has taught you in the light. In our Christian walk, God teaches us things. And as we learn, there are things that he shows us that we need to cling to. We need to cling to his word and hold on to his promises. And that's what we do when there's times of doubting or times of trouble. He says, verse two, but as for me, my feet came close to stumbling. My steps had almost slipped. I had almost lost my faith. He says, I almost stopped believing. It may have been true that his feet had almost slipped, but they had not actually slipped or at least they had not slipped so far as to make him forget the responsibilities he had as a worship leader of God's people. See, the enemy wants to tell us that we're too far gone or that we've slipped, and if we slip and stumble, we can never get back on the path. But that's actually not true. He has us see things in the extreme instead of the actual context or the actual place that they are. He says, I'm going to continue verse 3, For I was envious of the arrogant, as I saw the prosperity of the wicked, for there are no pains in their death and their belly is fat. They are not in trouble like other people, nor are they tormented together with the rest of mankind. Therefore, arrogance is their necklace. The garment of violence covers them. Their eye bulges from fatness. The imaginations of their heart overflow. They mock and wickedly speak of oppression. They speak from on high. They have set their mouths against the heavens and their tongue parades through the earth. So he's drawing this extreme thing in his mind that it seems like God is good to the wicked and the boastful. And it all seems so unfair to him. So unfair that it almost made him stumble and slip. If we're honest, we probably have felt like that one time or another. You know, it, it's at times when we, we just don't know why it seems like we have troubles. And it seems like God doesn't hear or God doesn't answer. But is that the truth? Continuing on verse 10, Therefore his people return here and abundant waters are drunk by them. They say, how does God know? And is there knowledge with the Most High? Here, he begins to put himself in the mind of the wicked. He begins to say what they think and, and how they act and that, how they begin to say these things against heaven. They claim that God is blind or ignorant. Therefore, they can do as they please 
and God is unable to do anything against them. It also seems that they have no fear or regard for God, and in fact seem to have contempt for him. And although Asaph is observing that, here's what the truth is. And at times when we're doubting those kind of things, this is what the Bible says in Hebrews 4, 12 and 13. For the word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword, even penetrating as far as the division of soul and spirit, of both joints and marrow, and able to judge the thoughts and intentions of the heart. So God is judging something at a deeper level than just what people are saying. But here's the crux of it. He says, and there is no creature hidden from his sight, but all things are open and laid bare to the eyes of him to whom we must answer. So although in his mind, he's thinking these wicked people are doing such and such and getting away with it, they're boasting or they're being uh, proud and arrogant in their speech because, oh, God doesn't know or God doesn't hear. But it says that everything is laid bare before him and we must give account. The Bible even says for even every idle word, we must give account. So there is nothing that God is missing and we could trust him for that. Friends, no one is getting away with anything. You know, no one is getting away with anything. And he goes on, uh, again, having this, if you can almost feel the wrestling that he has. I don't know if at the beginning of this, if maybe he was preparing to go and lead the worship, but he's having this conflict within. Verse 12, behold, these are the wicked and always at ease. They have increased in wealth. Surely in vain, I have kept my heart pure and washed my hands in innocent. Or why have I kept my heart pure? Why have I tried to keep from doing wrong. But again, here's another verse, Galatians 6, 9. And this we can use today as well. Let us not become discouraged in doing good. For in due time, we will reap if we do not become weary or if we do not give up. So keep doing good. Keep your heart pure. For in due time, at the proper time, you will reap a harvest. He says, verse 14, for I have been stricken all day long and punished every morning. Now, Asaph is looking here at that his life was much more difficult than the life of the ungodly. And again, we may think that as well. Maybe our life seems much more troublesome than the life of the ungodly. Well, the wicked enjoyed his wealth in ease and pride. Asaph says he had to endure being stricken and punished, and he had to endure it all day long and every morning. So stricken is bad, and it may be just the troubles of life, but he uses punished, and it's even worse because that implies, if you catch it, that God himself was afflicting Asaph with the difficulties, saying, God, you're easy on the wicked, but you're hard on me. Have you ever felt that way? This seems to point the blame at God. Again, he's thinking or feeling that God is unfair. This is an attack on God's character because God is altogether good and just. We know that God is good. We have to trust that God is good. 
And when the devil begins to have us doubt God's character, that he's good or that he loves us, if he can cause that doubt, you know, in court, they talk about reasonable doubt. You know, he won't just tell you a complete outright lie. He'll tell you a, a just, he'll twist stuff just a bit. And then you begin to doubt God in your mind. And he just wants to put those seeds of doubt in doubting God's character. Continuing on verse 15, he said, if I will speak this way, behold, I would have betrayed the generation of your children. He doesn't want to say the, the sense of injustice and despair that he's feeling. He didn't want to cause anyone else to slip. And when I thought, verse 16, of understanding this, it was troublesome in my sight. He felt all of this to be true, but he felt he could not talk about it because it would be untrue to others. Therefore, he just thinks, well, it's too painful for me. And at this point, he decides to spend time with God, wrestling over his troubled heart. We would do well to learn this. Time alone with God can change everything. And here is all of this psalm boiled down. In fact, I've called this message until. Verse 17, he says, until I entered the sanctuary of God. Then he uses these two things, at least we translate in the English language, meaning up until that point in time, or event mentioned. So all of these verses above are pointing to all of the trouble that he thinks, all of this injustice, all of this wickedness, and all this feeling and wrestling that he has until I entered the sanctuary of God. Then I perceived or understood their end. Here in the sanctuary, he gained a perspective to his problem that he did not have before. Here, he was able to see things from an eternal viewpoint. And it says he understood their end. Note that nothing circumstantially changed. It wasn't that he saw the wicked come to justice. It wasn't that he had something that circumstantially changed. But it was his paradigm that shifted. We need to see things from God's perspective of justice. See, God is altogether just. We need to see his justice, righteousness, and eternity. See, God sees all things. He knows the full picture. We only see in part. We only can see bits and pieces, little at best. But by prayer and worship in the sanctuary, he understood both that God was at the center of it all and had that fresh appreciation that God knew all of eternity. By hearing the word of God, he understood that there was a truth that went beyond what he saw and experienced in everyday life. So just because he's having this experience of thinking the wicked are getting away with it, the boastful and the proud have no cares, he begins to see the, the whole scope of it. He didn't go there to the house of God to hear news of the day. He needed revelance. He needed the reality of eternity. And he says, going on verse 18, and I am trying to move quickly. I, I am looking at the time. You indeed put them on slippery ground. You drop them into ruin. How they are destroyed in a moment and utterly swept away by sudden terrors. See, the easy life that he saw or perceived in the wicked was just an illusion. 
They were actually set in slippery places, ready to fall at any time. Verse 20, like a dream when one awakens, Lord, when stirred, you despise their image. When my heart was embittered and pierced within, I was stupid and ignorant, like an animal before you, and some say like a brute beast. If you think of Job was uh, questioned before God in the book of Job, Job confessed that God's ways were entirely beyond his understanding, and he despised his pride and repented. We too can speak from a place of ignorance. We can shake our fists at God, not grasping an understanding of him or his ways. Satan would have nothing more, he would love nothing more than to convince us that not only is God not good, but that God is actually against us. But it says this in Romans 8.31, What shall we say then to all this? If God is for us, or since God is for us, who can be against us? Who can be our foe with God on our side? Verse 23, Nevertheless, I am continually with you. I have, you have taken a hold of my right hand. Here he declares that he is both with God and that God was with him. It wasn't enough for him to know and say that God was with him. He had to confess that he was with God. See, it's one thing to, to know that God's good, but it's another thing to say, God, I trust you and I yield. Even if I don't know the outcome, I'm with you. I'm with you. I'm in your camp. I'm trusting you. Even when I don't see all of the outcome. He says, verse 24, you will guide me with your plan and afterward receive me to glory again, eternity in perspective. But this is another uh, important part of the psalm. Verse 25, whom do I have in heaven but you? And with you, I desire nothing on earth. My flesh and my heart may fail and they may fail, friends. Our heart and flesh may fail. We may be overcome with fear. We may be overcome with anxiety. Our heart and flesh may fail, but God, he says, God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. And this is a beautiful expression uh, of a longing heart for God in eternity. This all paled in comparison with him realizing that he needed the presence of God. And friends, if you've ever had one of those times of worship where you're just worshiping God or you're pressing in maybe at a time of fasting and prayer and you just can feel like the, the woman with the issue of blood that you've touched the hem of his garment, you know, where you've pressed through and you've had that, where you felt his presence. And that makes all the difference. Pressing through. Here he makes this breakthrough. He goes into the sanctuary. He's wrestling with these issues and he's coming before God and he begins to have this revelation of God in eternity. With the eternal perspective that he gained in the sanctuary, he understood that the wicked indeed do perish. Verse 28, but as for me, the nearness of God is good for me. I have made the Lord God my refuge so that I may tell of all of your works. He saw the value of putting his trust in God and now understanding he had that God was reliable and could be trusted. See, 
God wants us, friends, to trust him. And he'll take us sometimes into deeper water to see, will we trust him? Will he be there for us? And the answer is yes, he will. He will. But I said this before and it's a quote, but it says, a faith that can't be trusted, I'm sorry, a faith that can't be tested can't be trusted. And God will take us sometimes to test our faith and take us into deeper waters. Because friends, if we want to go deeper with him, sometimes he needs to have us trust him more, you know? And so here's a few things, and I'll be closing soon, that it says, Asaph was, was wrestling with seemingly like the wicked getting away with things. And if you've ever had people that maybe have plotted or planned or have done, you know, wicked things in your life, maybe they've hurt you or, or said things or plotted things on you, he gained eternity's perspective. These are a few verses that it says uh, out of Genesis 50 verse 19. And Joseph said to them, fear not, for am I in the place of God? Vengeance is his, not mine. Romans 12, 19, Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave the way open for God's wrath. For it is written, Vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. And he says in Hebrews 10, 30, For we know him who said that vengeance is mine. Retribution and the deliverance of justice rest with me. I will repay the wrongdoer. And the Lord, it says, will judge his people. It makes it so much easier or peaceful in life if we trust God. For people maybe that have wronged us or the wicked seemingly getting away with wicked things or evil, it's easier to say, God sees all things and I will trust him to take care of that. We place it in God's hands, as I said a few weeks ago, if we come to him with just open hands, not holding on to things, and, and not having, uh, you know, vengeance, you know. There's a, a, a number of films where the whole basis or the whole plot of the film is revenge. Someone wronged them and, you know, they, they are going to get revenge. And the whole plot of the film is, you know, an hour and a half of revenge. But our lives can be lived if we have eternity in mind. If we trust God that will, He will judge and make all things right. And that we just trust Him. And it makes our life so much simpler. We're not carrying those things. You know, we're not having all of that, as I, I said at the beginning of the year, carrying all of that stuff from 2020, 19, 1960, carrying all of that stuff into the new year. If we just put ourselves in God's hands and trust Him, He will make all things right and friends, for ourselves, that's why it's important for us, as we even took communion today, to examine ourselves and to not go long with offense, but saying, God, I want to be clean before you. I want my heart and my life to be clean before you. I want clean hands, and I don't want to be uh, having, you know, vengeance or revenge, but I also I don't want to hurt others. So I just, as I was uh, preparing this a few weeks ago, just really feeling that we need, you know, as, as we're getting ready to get out of lockdown and begin to, uh, 
meet together. You know, our heart's desire in the community center is to be a blessing to that region there in, in the Nungate. I don't know exactly at this moment how many houses are there, but I want us to be equipped and ready uh, to be able to work in that field, in that harvest. And so these are the times where, you know, we're pressing in. We want to be ready for as God would have us be able to get there and then he would uh, plant us and establish us that we can be a blessing to the community. And we ourselves need to take these times to prepare, to be ready to maybe as Asaph, maybe if we're dealing with things or we're wrestling with things about God's character, coming in, pressing in, spending time worshiping him, spending time reading his word and allowing it to, to just work in us. As I said a few weeks ago about the word of God, you know, it is living and active and it's at work if we let it. And we could, we could be resistant to it. But as we yield our heart and have a soft heart, God is, makes us pliable. And he, he makes us because he wants to use us for his kingdom and his glory. So, Lord, I just pray for Haddington, Lord, for the Nungate, for, for East Lothian, and Lord, for this body of believers that have gathered in your name. Lord, we want to be your hands and feet. We want to be salt and light. And Lord, I am just looking forward to the day when not only we can gather in person, but God, that we can begin to do outreaches and that we can begin to do things there in Nungate. And Lord, I just pray that you will prepare that ground as we begin to go and, and toil and labor in that field. I, I pray that you will begin to just work that field. Lord, break up that fallow ground. Break up those rocky places. And Lord, that as we go and as we scatter your seed and as we begin to share the good news of the gospel, that it will fall in good soil. Lord, that there will be countless families that come to faith in you. Friends, just dream with me for a moment or just, just see it in your mind's eye. Just families coming, teenagers coming to faith, people coming that have never known that there is a Savior named Jesus and coming, Lord, each week growing in their faith. Lord, I pray that we could disciple them. And Lord, that it's all, uh, you're building your church and your kingdom. And Lord, you're using us. So I pray that we would be ready, God, that in these next weeks leading up to all of that, that you would prepare our hearts in Jesus' name. And Lord, for anyone that is going through some of these things where they have been wronged in the past or hurt. Lord, I pray that they could begin to release those things. And Lord, I know that it's not easy, but I pray that they could begin to release those things to you so that you can work and have a full access in their lives. And Lord, that we can trust you, even as that first song said, that I could know you and know you more, that we can continue to know you more, Jesus, that you can work in our lives and that we just give you that right of way, that we yield to you in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening. Please tune in next week for another inspirational message. If you're in the East Lothian area, visit us online at haddingtonelamchurch.com for information about how you can join us for our weekly Sunday services.